Welcome from Euractive. My name is Luca Bertuzzi, your digital media editor. This week, we take a closer look at the UK data protection regime and how it has evolved since Brexit. For an overview on all things digital in the EU, sign up to our free newsletter or visit the website Euractive.com. This is Euractive's Digital Brief Podcast. Today I'm joined by two speakers, Wayne Cleghorn, CEO and Practice Director at Privacy Soft. Hi, Wayne. Hello there. Hi. And Robert Batman, Head of Content at GRC World Forums. Hi, Luca. Good to be with you. And thank you both for joining. So um, we are here to discuss the UK data policy since Brexit. Robert, can you give us an overview? So... There has been a lot of proposing and consulting uh, on the UK's part since Brexit. Lots of strategies announced, not a lot of substantial change just yet, but I think we will see some legislating this year. The big overarching piece of policy is the UK National Data Strategy that was released in December 2020. That's got uh, lots of sort of missions and, uh, and focuses. Probably what's going to end up being the most significant change is the reforms to the uh, data protection framework of the UK. Uh, it's a consultation from the Department of Culture, uh, Digital Media and Sport called Data A New Direction. That will amend the GDPR and the uh, the PECR, the UK's implementation of the e-privacy directive, and also uh, the freedom of information rules. We've also seen some other smaller initiatives, um, algorithmic transparency, um, an artificial intelligence strategy, and uh, of course the UK's big goal is to expand its network of adequate jurisdictions for data transfers. So that's a big piece of work from the Department of Digital Culture, Media and Sport. There's also the online safety bill, quite a controversial piece of legislation that aims to tackle online disinformation. And uh, there's some concern about the implications for freedom of speech um, in legislating harmful but legal content online. It seems quite a comprehensive uh, policy package. Wayne, what is the overarching strategy of the British government? From what I can see, the overarching strategy is one of um, um, economic um, recovery or growth, um, innovation, um, and to become um, um, a leader in new technologies. So the, 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 the strategy is quite a clear one, actually. Whether all the various parts of that kind of tie in together is the question. So there is also a subclause in all of that. And the subclause is, now that we are free from the European Union, uh, the, the, the political point, at least, is actually we need to make... Uh, hey, while the sun shines, we need to act very quickly, run fast, put bold ideas out there, see where they land, and become the leader in whatever area 
um, of the economy or a society that uh, that um, works out. So it really is a, a part economic g- growth agenda with kind of leadership and innovation at its heart. That's where it comes from anyway. That's the, the driving force uh, to all of this, I think. So let's try to take it one by one to see if it all makes sense. This week, the new UK international data transfer regime went live. And this was a major concern for Brussels uh, because the priority countries the the British government indicated uh, to develop digital strategies are not exactly uh, GDPR uh, adequate. Robert, how do you see uh, these uh, international partnerships being developed and to what risk for the data adequacy decision? So the data transfer situation uh, with the EU and the US uh, most most specifically is a bit of a mess. So I think the the UK sees an opportunity here uh, to compete on digital terms by having a more liberal approach to data transfers. The countries it is prioritizing for adequacy decisions include Australia, uh, Colombia, Dubai, South Korea, Singapore, the US uh, perhaps will be the trickiest one, and some others in a kind of secondary tier, Brazil, India, Indonesia, and Kenya. Now, some of those countries, like you say, do have quite weak data protection frameworks. Australia stands out particularly. Uh, It has a Privacy Act from 1988 that only really covers large businesses and public sector organizations. There is, of course, that's being reformed, but it hasn't been reformed yet, and it might not be by the time the UK liberalizes data flows to that country. As for the potential impact on the UK's own adequacy status with the EU, this is an area of some debate. I think there may be ways of mitigating the impact there. The EU has an adequacy agreement with Japan, for example, whereby there are restrictions on further transfers of personal data that originate from the EU and end up in Japan. So. Japanese companies uh, need to be very careful about further passing that data on to other countries via Japan. The UK could conceivably uh, arrange something like that with the EU to protect its own um, data adequacy decision. The the issue is that uh, a lot of these uh, countries, the issue is that many of these countries do have weaker data protection frameworks. There's some concern that that might weaken protections for UK data subjects. And the adequacy decision was quite close to the line uh, in the first place for the UK. So there is a bit of a risk there. Looking at the list of um, high priority countries, uh, then uh, there are three that stand out to me. Uh, DIFC, uh, which is a free zone um, in the United Arab Emirates, uh, the Republic of Korea, South Korea, um, and also the USA. I think those three are the leading kind of contenders. Um, I think the flashpoint is with the USA, because the interesting thing is we know from the history of uh, 
privacy um, uh, shield and before that safe harbor, that relations between uh, the EU and the US on data issues, especially when it comes to um, um, access by the, 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 the secret services, is a continuing problem. And actually, there is a, a plan, they say, for uh, Privacy Shield 2, if that ever uh, exists um, or comes into fruit. But the problem is, if the UK runs ahead and cuts a deal, my view is that that will cause an incident in the EU who will say, well, you were a part of us, you agreed all these rules, now you're not a part of these rules, and you've run ahead and you've cut a deal, you are adequate, um, and yet you're making it difficult because we want a comprehensive deal that deals with the 27 member states and our strength in getting a deal that we can agree Um to benefit, they would say, our economy, our single market, and also um, uh, individual uh, human rights. So I think the US is a flashpoint, um, and it may be that the UK has to hang back a little bit and see what happens with uh, Privacy Shield, and then dovetail kind of into that. So I think it, it, it causes a degree of friction between the Union, European Union, and the UK, and a, a lot of it may be about scheduling, who does what when, uh, um, and what the extent of the deal is, whatever kind of uh, uh, adequacy arrangement comes out, and what's excluded. Uh, final point on this I'd say about the US, what the, 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 the UK side could do is that they could get a smaller adequacy deal, maybe dealing with maybe uh, the US government, parts of the federal government, which is smaller, something to hang on to, which they build on later on into the private sector. So it doesn't have to be a, a, an all-country approach by the UK. Um, but of course, the EU would want a more comprehensive deal, obviously, because in a sense, they're big economies and they really want to be able to trade quite freely um, and deal with it once and for all. That's it for what concerns uh, the international situation. Uh, but what about the UK's uh, own bill amending the GDPR, what can we expect? So the reform consultation is quite comprehensive. There are a lot of different views on the extent to which it's radical or dangerous or just quite banal. Um, I come down somewhere in the middle. Some of the more radical proposals are scrapping uh, the mandatory requirement for certain companies and organizations to appoint a data protection officer, uh, scrapping the mandatory requirement to carry out a data protection impact assessment that can instead be replaced with other types of risk assessments where, where, where appropriate. We're going to be tinkering, it looks like, with the rules on cookies. I doubt that will have a very substantial effect given the relative size of the UK market compared to the EU. Uh, introducing fees for subject access requests. So you have to pay to get your data. This is one of the more controversial proposals. And some very sweeping reforms of the UK's regulator, the ICO, uh, which would at the end of the day, I think, give more power to the government to dictate the regulator's priorities. It's hard to say how much of this will actually pass into law. And if it does pass into law, how big a difference it will make 
to UK businesses, given that their standards are often dictated by the EU anyway, if they want to operate in that market? Uh, I have analyzed this um, um, in two ways. And I think the UK is uh, taking a risk um, because it seeks to, as far as we can see, make the regulator less independent. And I think that is a flashpoint because the guardian of everything that is data protection has to be an independent uh, regulator, you know, truly independent. Now, there are degrees of independence, but I think that is actually a flashpoint. And the ICO has responded to say, well, you can't make us less independent. So I think that is something to, to watch because I think the European Union can look at it and say, well, yeah, your laws are about right. You've changed a few things, but actually the guardian of all of this isn't really a guardian. So, so actually everything falls apart. So watch that, I'd say. The second thing to watch actually is what I call the incursion into transparency and accountability. And if you take away the data protection officer and you take away the DPIA and you take away the ROPA, and other things as well, but concentrate on those things. What I say to my team is that we don't know what's going on. You know, how do we judge kind of risk? How do we know where data is coming from and where data is going? So we can't even properly judge um, on a standardized basis, right? If everyone's doing their own thing, how data flows in and out. So I think those two sets of considerations could be flashpoints. But again, um, as Robert said earlier, the truth is a lot of it is proposal. Maybe it's a negotiation to go really high and then get something. Um, and then we all say, oh, OK, we'll accept it because it wasn't as bad as the proposal. Maybe that's the strategy. And we will keep an eye out for that indeed. Staying with you, uh, Wayne, um, what about this uh, uh, human rights bill that is also coming up that, and will have an impact on data protection rules? So the Human Rights Act um, um, in the UK is again under uh, uh, review. The government seems to want to do a few things. The first thing is that there seems to be um, an uncoupling from the Strasbourg Court, the, uh, uh, the European Court of um, uh, Human Rights. And they want the UK courts actually not to automatically accept all the the decisions that are coming down. So there's a big kind of decoupling argument about actually we want to be free and we want to make our own decisions. And uh, we also want to make human rights uh, more contingent. Um, and I looked at this again and I'm seeing things in the consultation where they're saying, well, we want to make sure that uh, we consider someone's human rights based on what they've done, based on the type of people they are, whether they're criminals, and we'll weigh it against each other. So it's quite a bold, um, I, um, I say, reframing of human rights. Um, we will see what happens. I predict, actually, that there will be a, uh, a riposte and a bit of a backlash. And the reason why, I think the temperatures change. Ukraine, uh, statehood, human rights is now a big thing. 
So I think the government will be under a bit more scrutiny and we don't know what, what those reforms will actually look like. But one to watch and it feeds into data protection analysis. And indeed the effect of the Ukrainian crisis are still uh, to be fully understood. But what do you see as the cumulative effect of all these initiatives from the British government on the EU adequacy decision? It's obviously, London, it's obviously under uh, the impression that it can do more, it can innovate uh, with its uh, data policy, whereas a lot of companies are concerned that they would lose uh, data flows with their uh, largest market. Robert, uh, where do you think all of this is going? So to answer that, I'll go back to the time when the UK was granted this adequacy decision by the Commission. The decision seemed pretty close to me. I think the Commission was always really going to grant adequacy to the UK. It had just come out of the EU. It hadn't changed its laws yet. There are questions about the national security regime and certain exemptions to the GDPR, uh, including the immigration exemption which I think is quite a horrible piece of law, which has recently been successfully challenged in the UK courts. But those were kind of dealt with by the Commission. Um, and despite a lot of opposition from other institutions in the EU, most notably the Parliament, uh, which passed two resolutions saying the UK should not get adequacy, ultimately this is a decision for the Commission and a small subcommittee of the Council. And they were always going to give the UK adequate status. The question is, what will happen if the UK diverges from EU law when this decision comes up for review in three years' time now or is challenged at the Court of Justice? I think it will be a pretty close thing again, even closer, depending on how far the UK diverges. I agree with Wayne that probably the most troubling part of the reform proposals has to do with the ICO. The independence of the ICO is very important. It underpins all the rights and protections flowing from the GDPR. If, as the ICO is concerned, it will, this reform package uh, restricts the ICO's independence, that would go against Convention 108, which is very important for these adequacy decisions, uh, European Council, uh, Council of Europe piece of uh, legislation. It, it would, like Wayne says, it would mean that the guardian of the GDPR is not necessarily uh, to be trusted. You know, it can if the independence of the ICO is threatened, the Commission may find it harder to offer the UK adequacy without even more resistance from the other EU institutions. Um, um, indeed, and I am remembering that actually the, the, the GDPR adequacy decision for the UK carves out immigration data <laughs> because uh, what the, the government did in and bringing in GDPR, they actually had this, um, 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 as Robert said, this carve out for a class of people <laughs> within GDPR. So this isn't this is even before leaving the EU, and the, the UK courts obviously had a problem with that. 
And I think that section is now being redrafted um, um, and maybe subject to kind of later kind of litigation as well. So I absolutely agree that the, the harder and the faster that the UK goes before the renewal of these adequacy agreements, there are red flags and uh, risks. If the, the UK paces itself, um, um, it, this could, there could be a slow uh, divergence, which is more manageable and more transparent. But we don't know. We just don't know how fast and how, how hard um, the UK government will go uh, in changing uh, the framework. So let's call it that. Um, and I think speed uh, will, speed and impact will really dictate how the EU uh, responds. One quick thing, though, the UK could always say, you know, in three years' time, if you're going to take away my adequacy, I want you to review all the other adequate countries as well and compare us to them um, and tell us where we're falling and where they're not falling. So I think there is a lively uh, debate, actually, uh, about what we do with adequacy and international transfers. And in, in summary, the UK wants uh, more um, adequate countries in the club. The EU wants that as well, but the EU wants to take a very slow and measured approach uh, and slowly do that. But the UK says, no, we want these people in. They're very close to us in terms of our data policy. Um, and uh, we want to move very far. So that is a live debate on both sides. And one we will make sure to follow very closely. Wayne Cleggorn is CEO and Practice Director at Privacy Solve. Thank you, Wayne. Thank you very much for having me, Luca. Robert Batman is Head of Content at GRC World Forums. Thank you, Robert. Thank you, Luca and Wayne. It was a pleasure. That's all we've got time for this week. Don't forget to sign up to our free Digital Brief newsletter to receive a comprehensive overview on all digital affairs in the world of European politics and policy directly in your mailbox. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast, published on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Amazon Music. I'm your Luca Bertuzzi, and thank you for listening. <music>